Welcome everyone to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, where we seek catharsis in this age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we learn to always read the footnotes, and each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of Bullshit Mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I'm Emily M. Bender, Professor of Linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, Director of Research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. This is episode 19, which we're recording on October 30th, 2023. And we're going to talk about the environmental footprint of widespread adoption of large language models, which rely both on specialized computer chips and lots and lots and lots of work from servers around the world. Recent peer-reviewed estimates suggest the use of, quote, AI globally requires massive amounts of energy with a correspondingly large carbon footprint. But the AI hypesters would have us believe that AI is what's going to save us from the climate crisis. From claims that AI energy use will actually decline down the road to the ridiculous suggestion that AI uses less energy than human beings to perform the same tasks. And fortunately for us, we have two amazing researchers here to help us tear apart these greenwashing claims. Dr. Emma Strubel is an assistant professor in the Language Technologies Institute in Carnegie Mellon University's School of Computer Science. Her research sits at the intersection of machine learning and natural language processing with a focus on providing pragmatic solutions to practitioners who wish to gain insights from natural language text via computation and data efficient AI. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thanks for being here. And Dr. Sasha Lucioni is a researcher in ethical and sustainable artificial intelligence at the company Hugging Face. Her work focuses on having a better understanding of both the societal and environmental impacts of AI models, datasets, and systems. She's also a founding member of Climate Change AI. Hey there, Sasha. Hey, I'm also very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. This is cool. We're so right, excited before, to have you on, yeah. Before we get into our uh, artifacts for today, I have to show off this earring, and Alex has them too. Yes. <laughs> Friend and fan of the show, Nana, made us little books that have the wonderful icon developed by Naomi Pleasure Park for Mystery AI Hype Theater. And Alex and I are feeling special. <laughs> I know. I've never gotten sort of earring jewelry swag on any kind of, uh, I don't know what it, what this is called, a brand. <laughs> so I'm super yeah. excited. All right. So let's dive right in. Here is our first artifact. Um Emma, do you want to start us off here and you want to tell us what we're looking at? Um, yes. Sorry, let me, I have like lots of feelings about this paper. So let me try to channel them into something um, cohesive. Yeah. So um, this is a paper that came out of folks at Google. You'll see the affiliations are like Berkeley and things, but like Dave Patterson, for example, did this as part of his work at Google mainly. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I mean, the, I guess the takeaway that they would like for you to have from their paper is sort of very clearly in the title, which is sort of a good PR um, thing, I guess. So they're claiming that the carbon footprint of machine learning training will plateau and then shrink. Um, the paper does not uh, really provide evidence to support that hypothesis. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but I think this paper was written basically entirely um as a PR thing um uh, on behalf of Google in response to papers um including mine including one by Emily including I don't know if at that time by Sasha but since by Sasha for sure um yeah basically pointing out that maybe we should be worried about the carbon footprint of machine learning training um yeah yeah I, I have to share a story right now Emma which is how I met you so in mm -hmm. in 2019 in September I was at the Seattle Climate March, and I saw this sign that said, ask me about the carbon impact of AI. And I thought, I've got to go tell that person about Emma Strubel's amazing paper at ACL 2019. So I pushed my way through the crowd, and it was you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. So, which is to say that that you know Emma has been on this beat for a while and really you know raising important questions and doing really careful work, sort of saying, okay, how do we think about this? How big is it? And like, what does that mean for us as researchers? And what does it mean, I think, for industry? Um, and apparently, um, between you know Emma and 
others you know like in the the stochastic paris paper frequently gets cited um as like you know we should worry about the carbon impact citation to stochastic paris and i'm like anytime they do that they really should be citing you know your work and your work sasha and like we we point to that work and the only thing stochastic paris really added was sort of reminding people to think about the environmental racism angle but the underlying like research about what's going on here is yours um so collectively i guess we got under their skin and so they wanted to say actually it's not so bad and so <laughs> where should we go in this paper to see how they're trying to say that i mean it's a lot yeah. of predictions right i think that's kind of what makes it i mean for me very unnerving is that it's really hard to argue with <laughs> it's really hard to argue with things that are happening in the future <laughs> either way you can't really prove they're happening or not right and so i think that this is one of the examples of, of pointing a finger. I mean, this is actually trying to downplay future uh, risks, whereas currently we're seeing a kind of the opposite effect. But um, but in any way, you can't really say anything because it's in the future. So what are you going to argue with? Right. So that that's what really pisses me off about it. Yeah. Citations <laughs> to the future. Really not oh. science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this paper is both. So part of it is sort of like setting the record straight, maybe uh, because they were quite upset about um, like estimates that I made using the information that I had available at the time. Then this gets back, well, so this gets to, um, I think, uh, a point that Sasha and I both like to make, which is that like transparency is important. And so this is like a wonderful yeah. example of like Google, like not reporting, <laughs> not disclosing various numbers. And then, so we tried to estimate these things and then they were really upset about that. Um, and so, so part of the thing, so I actually, I cite this paper um, and I cite it for some of these um, like actual concrete estimates that they provide using their data. So that's actually like a valuable and useful thing that does come out of this paper. Um, so uh, yeah, so, so for example, and this is actually like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I wanna get into this, but like, um, they, they wanted feedback from me, like on this paper early on and kind of wanted me to be a part of this paper. And like, one of the things that I asked them to do was just like report the numbers, like report the actual numbers so that people can like refer to this and use this estimates. Um, so I think that's sort of like what the first part of the paper is, um, they're sort of talking about how they're like actually much more efficient than I don't like global estimates of data center efficiency and things like this. And um, some of their energy is renewable. Um, Which is all uh, true, right? To some extent. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So I and have. I, I would... No, go, go ahead, ahead, Emma. No, 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 go ahead. I'm no. going to sort of change topics. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I also want to, for folks who are listening, I mean, they're not familiar with the paper. I mean, I also want to just straight up give a shout out to your paper um, uh, uh, with Ganesh and, and McCollum, which is Energy and Policy Considerations for Deep Learning and NLP. And I want to say, I mean, the kind of big things on this paper and, and, and you know, you were focusing on a number of Google models, uh, including, I, I believe, the, the Vizier model, the kind of um, neural architecture search model, which 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 is the model that they describe that attempts to identify certain kinds of neural network architectures um, that, that are going to be the most um, optimal for, for prediction. And this paper, I mean, this paper got a lot of press. It got a lot of notice. And especially because the findings were, and, and, and I'm not going to summarize the findings correctly because I don't have the paper in front of me, but it was a huge carbon cost. I mean, the kind of, you know, some training, some of these models, one training run had something like the kind of lifetime, um, kind of like lifetime carbon emissions of, of a car or something. I've... And yeah. And so it was, and it was the training one model. And so and these are estimates that you're doing very carefully trying to identify. And, you know, they, they were really hung up on this. I mean, it was also within Google, I mean, we saw a lot of hang up on this. We even made sort of a joke that the kind of hang up that Jeff Dean had was on section three of stochastic parrots. And that was sort of the the sort of thing. And and to some degree, I feel like this paper came out as a bit of a, and I'm stealing this this uh phrase from Meredith Whitaker, but a bit of a Potemkin citation where we need a new citation to sort of point people to when people say that 
things are, you know, not, or things are not energy efficient. So yeah, that I wanted to put that out there and give a little background there. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess that's another thing that like earlier drafts of this paper were just like, it was just like this like angry takedown of like basically this the paper that I'm highlighting here, like our energy and policy considerations paper and then the stochastic parrots paper that cited our paper in section three. Um uh and it's still, I mean, some of those aspects still remain and I think contribute to the the fact that like the claims in the paper do not actually support the title, like the very sort of I don't know, extreme and drastic and like claim that we'd like to be true of the title uh, because they basically sort of, they take down how like actually wrong our estimate is of the carbon footprint of this one specific model, sort of like not addressing the fact that like many other super large models have been trained by them and at other places. And, you know, Sasha and I have done work since then, like again, like actually very accurately in collaboration with Microsoft, for example, like uh, measuring where we do have access to their internal sort of numbers, uh, measuring the carbon footprint of training large models that have happened since then. And it's like, it's very large. So it's like not, so just because our estimate was wrong about this specific sort of one thing at Google, that doesn't support their claim. Um, and but the, I think the, that, the, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that uh, people always confound energy and carbon. So maybe your carbon estimate, because the thing is just for context, right? The the quantity of energy that you use is going to be pretty much the same if you use like the same hardware, um, I mean, or very similar hardware. Like there's something you can compare apples to apples where the pushback often is, is like, oh, well, for example, Emily, uh, sorry, Emma, the experiments that she ran were on a, a different en uh, energy grid. So the carbon was higher, whereas at Google it's renewable energy, but it's like, okay, fine. That's, that's possible, right? I mean, numbers are, it didn't happen, but also like, how about we compare the energy? And in that case, you know, it's going to be a huge amount of energy, even if it's renewable energy, there's still so much of it, right? And one thing we say in Stochastic Pirates is using renewable energy is great, but we aren't to the point where there is more renewable energy than we actually need for like, you know, life necessities, right? Mm -hmm. So any renewable energy that's being used by data centers is not being used for something else. Yeah. And and, so, and often what what's, I mean, sometimes it's actual renewable energy that's like built out like an actual solar uh, solar panels or wind farms, but usually what's actually done is um, is what's called renewable energy credits, and that's like the 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 accounting scheme that a lot of big tech companies set up is like they'll use whatever energy is available, which is often coal or gas or, or whatever you know whatever is if you have a data center in Iowa, you use the energy that's in Iowa, and then you will buy equivalent amount of renewable energy in order to say that you're actually carbon neutral, but it doesn't like magically erase the emissions from the energy that you initially used, right? It's just accounting. It's just on paper that you can, it can somehow be neutralized, but it, yeah. So a lot of this is also based on this creative accounting situation. And it's not just carbon, right? It's also water is an issue. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't, I don't think they, they don't discuss, I mean, I'd love to get into this paper a little bit. I don't think they discuss, they don't discuss water, water in this paper not found. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and it's. Um, well, hold on. But I, I would, I the thing that I mean, the thing that grinds my gears about this paper is speaking about um, transparency is that they have these data um, that I don't know if this data was available. It, it's this is figure two in the paper where they're kind of coming up with these um, these sort of estimates of how much. Um, um, CFE, so I think that's uh, carbon carbon free energy. Um, they characterize. I don't know how they define this um, metric, but they sort of had these these kinds of metrics for each of these data centers. In this in this graph, that's very hard to read because it's sort of all clocks. Also, Iowa is spelled Loa, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> um, which I just I just noticed. Um, um, Incredible. Uh, and so, you know, and they said they have a citation of this, but it's not dated. It's to sustainability.google slash progress slash energy. I believe when they put this on archive, like this 
the stuff just wasn't available. It was just kind of, they were sort of having this per data center um, CFE metric. Uh, and they were sort of saying, well, if you kind of train this, you know, in Iowa at like 6 a.m., then, you know, you're not having, you're not going to have this huge kind of carbon output. But it was like very particular sort of constraint that they're putting on this with kind of proprietary data. And that just really sent me on this paper so much. So I, I have to share my enjoyment about what's going on in the chat here. So <laughs> abstract test rack says low emission models. I'll see myself out. <laughs> RK Sciences comes back with Iowa has split into Loa and Iowa. <laughs> oh yeah. North and North and South Iowa. Uh, sorry. So what what must have happened was it must have been actually a lowercase L. Um, mm. And then someone went through and said, oh, we have to capitalize these things or something. It just didn't. PDF parsing, maybe, no? <laughs> Who knows? It could Ridiculous. be. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to continue to dog on somebody for, 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 for typos and their, and manuscripts because gosh, what a nightmare, but humorous nonetheless. <laughs> yes, it's a good one. It's absolutely a good one. And maybe the typesetter, like if you aren't in the US, the name of the state, Iowa, maybe is less obvious. Um, mm. So it's just very funny to those of us who are familiar with the state of Iowa. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to do um, in this paper in particular? I, my search isn't working on this. So the water word water might show up. I am a little bit curious where they cite stochastic parrots, which is citation 20. It, citation 20, yeah, down yeah. near the end. It's kind of a okay. throwaway citation. But I thought this paper came out before parrots, no? It no. came out after parrots. It was kind of in response almost directly to yeah. your paper, Emma, yeah. and stochastic parrots because they needed basically something to, because people were citing stochastic parrots as sort of the climate carbon paper, but um, so they really wanted to, yeah. So it came out after. Yeah. Oh, this is them just being sore. So uh, the opening quote in this article is based on a 2019 project from the University of Massachusetts Amherst that estimated the environmental impact of training. Um, and that's the citation to your paper, Emma. More than 1,250 papers cite Struble et al. as the source for the impact ML models have on carbon emissions. Go, Emma. You had a really impactful paper. It's important, including Bender et al., Freitag et al., Schwartz et al., Thompson et al., and Thompson et al. Uh, the study calculated the energy consumed by the carbon footprint of the NAS by So et al. that led to the evolved transformer. Their estimate, they did not run the NAS code, was 284 TCO2E tons of carbon equivalent for NAS. The actual number was only 3.2, a factor of 88 smaller. And then they go into reasons why. And, you know, I don't think that you in your paper claim to say, we know how much it actually was. You say, we estimated it. And in doing so, you, you know, raise an extremely important issue that clearly was very, very impactful. Um, yeah. And just, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, not to be pedantic, but we literally have a table and it has like blanks in the table because we did not try to estimate the carbon emissions on TPUs because we didn't have like available information to do that. And so that, for example, that's one of the differences, but we were very clear in the paper that like we were estimating it if it was on this specific hardware with this specific carbon intensity, which maybe is not right. Like we're, you know, yeah, it's science. Yeah. And <laughs> my takeaway was, However big these things are precisely, they're big enough that we need to think about it. And exactly. like this is, um, there's a wonderful paper that uh, by Ifridam and others wrote about the physicality of the cloud, right? That we think of this stuff mm. as just being off in abstract space, but no, it's actually material and that matters. And, you know, your work, both of you has sort of brought that into sharp relief. And for Google to come back and say, oh, no, 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 it's not that bad is just, you know, all kinds of problematic and condescending. But also, I mean, we make these estimates because there is no information available. If if people were more transparent, fine, like, you know, just actually they've, got, they've probably gotten worse since this paper was published. For a while, they kind of did a couple of estimates, like they would, they would actually say, oh, I think Gopher or whatever, they actually estimated the carbon footprint. But since then, it's been, uh, you know, complete lack of transparency. So it's like, well, help us do our job or otherwise, like, right. we'll, we'll try to do our jobs and you won't like it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
I have one last comment that I want to make about this paper and um, like why I think that their sort of argument doesn't support their claims. And it gets back to what Sasha was saying earlier about like, it's really frustrating when a paper is just a bunch of estimates because like we can all make estimates and you can kind of shape estimates to sort of support whatever hypothesis you have. Um, but in this case, like, I mean, for one thing, there's like a lot of like economists and environmental scientists and other people who like their job and their research is to try to make these types of estimates. Um, and, um, and there's, um, a thing. So, and so, so basically the other sort of main argument in this paper, aside from the fact that like our specific estimate was wrong is also that generally like people are working on making machine learning more efficient. And so therefore it is going to just use less energy in the future and it'll be fine. Um, but they completely ignore like, uh, it's a vast oversimplification of the problem. Um, and so there's like a phenomenon known as Jevons paradox, which is basically, um, and it, it's been, it's, you know, it's observed throughout economics and in other places. And it's basically the idea that when you reduce the cost of something, like it's uh, the number of times that thing is performed is going to increase, like because the access increases and things like that, leading to like overall more of that thing happening. And so there, they, sort of ignore that complexity um, and they don't seem to be aware of that sort of phenomenon. And that's just like one way in which um, I think that their claim is sort of not really supported um, because I think as I think what I think is going to happen and I suspect we are already seeing happen is that as, and I, you know, as machine learning models become maybe more efficient and uh, maybe hardware becomes more accessible or using these models, developing these models becomes more accessible like probably like you can imagine basically making the opposite like having the opposite thing happen basically where the emissions actually increases um maybe it's yeah. already happened. has anyone estimated what's gone on with with chat gpt and everybody using it to play and do their homework yeah exactly sasha and i are very interested in doing that we were just chatting about that in a meeting a couple of weeks ago uh sorry go ahead sasha no, but I was going to say that, I, I mean, of course, we don't have the numbers and this is always the debate because it's like, you know, even when you do get some numbers about some data centers or, you know, you see some like whatever the the emissions factors that are that are published in these ESG, ESG reports every year, it's always like, well, you don't know what percentage of that is due to AI usage. And so like every time I try to bring it up by like being like, well, you can't really argue that people are using AI less now, even if it's more efficient hypothetically, but people are like, oh, there's no numbers about that, right? Like you can't actually prove that's the case. And you're like, okay, well, we're back to square one, right? Like, mm -hmm. why don't you publish the numbers that people are using AI less? <laughs> and then, right, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on to our um, comic relief sort of interlude? <laughs> oh, let's do it. And so we so talked about this paper a few weeks ago in episode 12, right? And it yeah, was it, uh, it's all hell episode. <laughs> it's it was the our all hell episode, one of our most downloaded episodes. And this one's the paper. The title of this paper is the carbon emissions of writing and illustrating are lower for AI than for humans. And this is um, on archive. Uh, the authors Bill Tomlinson, Rebecca Black, Donald Patterson, Andrew Torrance, a mix set of a few different universities. Um, and, and Donald then, Patterson, not to be confused with Dave. I was David just going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I These are different, different people. <laughs> These are different people. Related? Who knows? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so the um, this one we we trolled on a bit uh, for the first figure of this, but just to read the, the abstract, as AI systems proliferate, their greenhouse gas emissions are increasingly an increasingly important concern for human societies. Uh, incredible sentence just to start off. We analyzed the emissions for several AI systems, ChatGPT, Bloom, Dolly 2, Midjourney, relative to those of humans completing these tests, these same tasks. We find an AI writing a page of tasks emits 130 to 1500 times less CO2e than a human doing it. Similarly, an AI creating an image emits 310 to 2900 times less. Emissions analysis do not account for social impacts such as professional displacement, legality, uh, sorry, I don't know what that means, and rebound effects. In addition, AI is not a substitute for all human tasks. Nevertheless, at present, 
the use of AI holds the potential to carry out several major activities at much lower emission levels than humans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just had to read read that. I don't think I've actually read that out loud, and but it's what a doozy. Yeah. What's interesting so. is that like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, people are thinking about this and that's kind of like part of why we do what we do. Right. So sometimes I'm like, okay, it's great. Like people are, and then it's like, but they're, they're not doing it properly. And so it's really frustrating mm -hmm. because it's like, you don't want to be super pedantic and being like, you're doing a bad job, but you literally cannot compare humans and computers or, or whatever models in terms of, 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 of emissions. It just, it makes no sense. Right. And so it's like often the people who are like, oh, Hey, let's work on the carbon footprint. Let's like at some point um, for one of the workshops I was re re reviewing for someone submitted a paper saying that they compared several like machine translation systems. And then they concluded that Arabic was more polluting than French or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh. That's not, that's not what, no, <laughs> like, I mean, uh, you know, and then they were like, well, maybe it's because of blah, blah. And they went on this whole thing about why Arabic is like more intensive or whatever. And it's like, on one hand, you're like, okay, well, people care somehow. But on the other hand, it's like, but just do your homework. <laughs> I, that, that, can you, I, I would love to see that paper because you're, you're oh, not well, only... I, I blocked it, but I think it was up on archive at some point. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, gosh. on the other hand, it's, it's not, it's not like. It's not that complicated. They essentially like compare two machine or multiple machine translation systems. And they found that for whatever reason, right, the one that had like English to Arabic or Arabic to English was more intensive, but could have been a multitude of factors. And like at the end of the day, it doesn't freaking matter. <laughs> like, I mean, why yeah. are you even it's doing this study? What are you trying to prove here? Right. Like, right. So if you're measuring carbon impact, it's basically carbon impact of, um, you know, overall, this research that we're doing, is it to the level that we should be concerned? right? There's sort of that kind of a question. There's the, um, okay, I'm going to start a project. I've got a couple different ways of doing it, which is the lower carbon impact way of doing that. Um, and, you know, so on sort of questions along those lines, not things like, well, which languages should we translate because we want to translate the ones with less carbon impact. That makes no sense. And, um, well, the AIs can do this with less carbon than the people makes no sense because people exist, right? Right. Like, and, well, and we're going to keep existing and we should think about like how we move through the world and how we can reduce our carbon impact. But this paper just sets up the most ridiculous question. Yeah. The premise of which language is more cost effective to translate. I mean, now you're just, now you're just introducing a, a whole new brand new kind of racism into it. Well, Arabic is too costly to translate. So we don't need to, you know, they don't need to be integrated into the world, but the French people, the French are fine. So it's just like you, you know, new new you dimensions. Know which, <laughs> I, I can tell you with absolute certainly certainty which language has had the biggest carbon impact across all of NLP. English. Yeah, yeah. English. It's English. One <laughs> hundred. <laughs> Although they don't tell you so because in most of those papers they don't mention in English, so the data is kind of hidden, you know. But bender <laughs> rule alert. <laughs> I, we need to like a soundboard every time the bender rule comes up. <laughs> All right. Um, do we have a ridiculous graph in here? Um, yeah, 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 that one. Yes. Yeah, the histogram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, like human from India, human in the US. Well, I mean, like, honestly, it's not where you're from that impacts how much carbon you emit. If you put a person from India in in the states, I mean, uh, like, I mean, it's not the person; it's it's right. the lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's just like oh, right. And then exactly. just to describe this, this is the one. This is the chart we looked at in episode twelve, where it's the histogram, where it has uh, a lot kind of a um, log scale, uh, y axis, and an x scale, uh, different categories. So Bloom writing one page, Chat GPT uh, writing one page. Laptop computer for the duration of human writing one page, desktop computer for the, and then human from India writing one page and human from US. And it just goes up, up and up. And the, the, you know, the, 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 the height is very close to one for Bloom and ChatGPT. And then for laptop, desktop, it just is 10, 100, 1000. So exponentially more carbon intensive. Yeah. Also, I don't think I noticed this last time, but um, so we have Bloom and we have ChatGPT, which are sort of on their own. And then there's the laptop computer and the desktop computer for the duration of the human writing one page. So presumably these bars are added to or part of the bars that are for the humans. Like, 
this is or does it mean by hand it's it's not clear what the writing of one page and entails i don't know if they talk about this in the in the text right but i think we should probably actually get on to the other um well not so much comic relief paper at this point but it seemed seemed worthwhile to dog on. The well, paper so why we why we came back to this, right? It it kind of people started talking about it again recently, uh, because uh, somebody retweeted it and it became a whole a whole discussion. And people were like, you know, see, uh, actually, like AI is is better than is more sustainable than humans. I don't know, like all these, right? And and then I spent like three days just trying to like quash all the rumors being like you you literally just can't compare humans and 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 ai systems i mean like what portion of your carbon footprint would would be even dedicated to whatever you're trying to measure right like there's just so many holes in the in the in the comparison but i mean i guess for me the the crux of the issue is is that we don't have this kind of um education or awareness right even in the ai community like these are people who know what ai is and how it works but it's just that like they don't necessarily have like the broader uh impacts or the broader um consequences and so it's like they're just talking past each other in terms of um in terms of yeah. the carbon footprint yeah you say what? someone tweeted it it was Jan Lacoon, wasn't oh, it? oh I, I don't remember i just remember oh, it was gosh. like i i, I, I think it was. i debunked a lot of rumors like because people kept on like tagging me and being like oh hey sasha did you see that and i was like yeah i saw it and like i ended up writing like a bunch of tweets so yeah he probably tweeted the initial one but then people like went on a on a whole um you know, just yeah. like tangent about it. And I'm sure like Emma has encountered this with her recent paper. I mean, her initial paper rather, like people like ran with this idea of like the five cars in their lifetimes and then started being like, well, like I remember people going to me being like, well, whatever work you do is actually just like screwing over the environment because you saw this one paper. And it's like people don't have the necessary context and we're not doing a very good job like as a community or multiple communities of like explaining the impacts of AI to people. Like even people yeah. who do AI don't really get it right in a lot of cases. And so, and then they take this one, one figure and they're like, Oh, you ran a random forest on your laptop, five cars in their lifetimes. They're like, well, not really. Yeah. And it yeah, actually I created like a lot of tension. Sorry. Just like one more thing. So I, I am yeah. a, um, part of climate change AI and like it created a lot of tension because people were like, well, all this like shit that you're selling essentially that you're peddling is actually just like harmful more harmful but like most of the stuff that people do in terms of like climate modeling or you know whatever all the ai stuff that's done in the climate ai space like well maybe recently it's become more llm oriented but for like years it was like literally like classifiers random forest svm and people were like even you know like doing better climate prediction or detecting you know like whatever deforestation or whatnot and they're like actually like positive applications and then they got all put in this under under this umbrella like any ai model you deploy is the equivalent of five cars in their lifetimes and that created a lot of like tension there too which i think is probably a good segue to this next one i was gonna say i think that's like a perfect segue to the next paper because i feel like one of the biggest issues here is like clear I would say it's to me, it seems like the author like does not understand that exact issue, like just like does not understand the different phases of like the machine learning model life cycle and like how they have very different like frequencies of use and also like magnitudes of emissions during those different phases. And they're like sort of confusing things um, in making this very drastic estimate. So this paper is published in Jewel, which is one of the cell.com imprints. And the title is The Growing Energy Footprint it's a commentary. of Artificial Intelligence. Sorry, it's, it's commentary. a commentary. <laughs> okay, so it's not a paper, it's a commentary. It's, not a paper, it's a commentary, yeah. All right. <laughs> the Growing Energy Footprint of Artificial Intelligence, written by someone named Alex DeVries, um, who is a PhD candidate at the VU Amsterdam School of Business and Economics and the founder of Digiconomist, a research company dedicated to... Uh, I can't read this because I've got an advertisement over it. The unintended consequences, so exploring probably the unintended consequences of digital trends. His research focuses on the environmental impact of emerging technologies and has played a major role in the global discussion regarding the sustainability of blockchain technology. So sounds like heart in the right place for sure. Um, and you know, looking at things from the perspective of business and economics, which you know we welcome multiple perspectives, but apparently missing something important about the way I the way so-called AI technology is actually used. So um, Emma, is there a particular part of this text that we should go to to see that clearly? Um, I think Sasha pointed this text out to me. So 
don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of parts, but um, well, for example, if you go to the plot, we can talk about the plot since it's kind of more uh, visual. Yeah, that that one. So essentially on the plot, it compares a Google search, a chat GPT query, a Bloom query, uh, which is an open large language model, an AI-powered Google search query according to new state research, and the same thing according to Semyon analysis. And essentially it shows, the plot shows that Google search is like a tiny quantity of of watt hours per request and then goes chat GPT, then goes Bloom, then AI powered Google search one and then two. Essentially, but the thing is, except the Bloom paper, none of those other figures are trustworthy. I mean, like they're all in, inferred or guessed, right? Because Google at no point has gone on record and been like, every time you search Google, <laughs> we chop down a tree, right? Like they never did that. Right. And so like none of those figures actually, and of course, neither did OpenAI. Every time you ask ChatGPT to tell you a knock-knock joke, <laughs> like a fish dies, right? Like they didn't do that. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, it's like those commercials. It's like, you know, every time you use a paper straw, a turtle's going to get it in its nose. Um, and it's kind of like that. And so it's like, for me, when you do plots like that, because obviously that's most of what people are going to, or or that estimate that AI is going to, what was it, use as much energy as Switzerland or some, anyway, people are going to focalize on that. And you, you have to signal that this is not real data. You can't just use it in your prediction and then, you know, assume people read the fine print or or some footnote that you put somewhere. There was that one study, or I don't know what it was. It was a headline, something like every query to chat GPT uh, was like dumping a bottle of water. And I don't know what the origin of that was. So that's also, uh, I mean, that's a very well-intentioned paper once again, but it also uses Mm -hmm. these um, estimates. And actually the proxy that they use for chat GPT is Bloom, my work. And (laughs) I take offense because, you know, people will... I mean, actually, in the paper, it, the 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 metaphor, like the the actual focus of the paper, is ChatGPT, and it just so happens that the most recent comparable or not number is Bloom, and so it's like you know, using research that I've done that I put a lot of like a lot of care and, and detail into for mm-hmm. a pro- as a proxy for something that's completely like black books, black box, and opaque, and we have absolutely no idea how big it is or, or where it's deployed or anything. So same thing with the with the with the water paper. It, it's similar. It uses figures as proxies for things that yeah are not exactly not necessarily the same probably not the same at all actually mm-hmm. so the takeaway that i'm hearing here is on the one hand um we need the transparency and on the other hand we shouldn't trust open ai or google to be doing the right thing unless they are being transparent about it so like being suspicious that they are being profligate with energy and water use is probably not wrong but to to make specific claims about them is unfounded because they're the ones with the data and they haven't said. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, and I think it's counterproductive because, um, well, for example, like, you know, as soon as people start using these numbers, they really kind of don't need to say anything anymore because people are kind of like now using it. So I feel like, you know, now that's 500 milliliters of water per query thing. For me, I mean, when I hear people talk about it, they they take it as a given. And so now it's like, well, OpenAI had absolutely no reason, not that they would, but <laughs> have absolutely no reason to disclose anything because people are already using this number, which may be a lot less than the actual number. And so it's like, why would they even uh, set the record straight on that, right? I guess I have so, one, one question for both of you, and, and it's a little not necessarily on this, but it's um, in the absence of any kind of transparency or kind of minimal transparency. I mean, what are, what are, are there other ways to sort of infer these sorts of costs or, I mean, otherwise we're sort of guessing, and I know there's a lot of people either in the chat or listening who do work on kind of energy and AI or focusing on things like lithium mining or the mining of rare uh, minerals or, you know, the, the literal, child labor and slavery that's um, involved in the mining of these things. So, I mean, what are the, I mean, what are the other sort of signals that folks can use to get a sense of just the cost of, yeah, the environmental costs and the human cost? Well, I guess the, some of what now Emma and I are working on is, is taking open source models and trying to at least give people ranges, but of course, the fact that we don't even know neither the architecture nor the size nor anything about, for example, ChatGPT or, or BART or anything is 
means that we can't even you know locate it on a on a range right if we're like well like the smallest model is this and then the biggest model is that well ChatGPT could be even bigger we don't really know um but i do think that at least it helps us get some data points and some having mm-hmm. some um orders of magnitude as well about like different tasks and different um setups and and also just like general education like for example when the llama one paper came out um they actually did a I think it was the one anyway a carbon footprint estimation and i think that either they didn't want to divulge or anyway they didn't want to say like where the model was trained and so they did like a, a hypothetical one like if the model were trained here this is what the carbon footprint would be <laughs> which mm-hmm. works if you're not the person training the model because you actually had like i mean emma did it in her paper because she didn't have the information right but it doesn't work if you're the you're you have the numbers but you don't want to divulge the numbers and so i feel that there's so much just like misunderstanding about how this stuff is calculated or or you know like what do you need to be transparent about for it to make sense and stuff like that that like any kind of work that 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 we can do that to, to shed more light and even if it's just like super basic like even just like a blog post or like what are the factors mm-hmm. right could really could really be helpful and i got into like a, a massive twitter fight with the one of the authors of the paper because i was like this is not true. This is not how carbon footprint estimation works. You can't be like, well, I came here on a Hummer, but I'm going to give you the number from a smart car because that's what I chose to give you, right? <laughs> like that, you literally can't do that because that's not how it yeah. works. You need to give the actual numbers. Um, and so, and so, yeah. But they they didn't change it. But the carbon footprint of my travel, if I had gone by bicycle, would exactly. have been. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. But yeah. I won't tell you yeah. what I came in, but I'll give you this estimate. It was like it was like an US average estimate. So it's like, well, if I came on an average car, but I'm not going to tell you what car I actually came in. Oh yeah, and I, I want to say one more thing. Like, I think, and I think, again, Sasha and I also have sort of looked into this, but then I think we both found is a little bit of a dead end in terms of um, like any type of information that's available regarding water regarding like rare earth minerals embodied emissions yeah embodied emissions it's like it's so proprietary it's even more proprietary and locked down i think than like the machine learning energy stuff and so i feel like we're you know we focus on like the machine learning like operational um uh carbon footprint because it's like they're like we should be able to do like just a fantastic job and i think as people who are not necessarily at the companies or like despite the companies not wanting to disclose things we can sort of like maybe start to do an estimate but like looking at you know nvidia isn't telling us like how much palladium or whatever they're using or like even if they're using palladium maybe like in their gpus um and similarly i think the amount of water is also sort of like a proprietary process thing um and i think that those aspects are potentially like much worse, particularly like the sort of human rights yeah. aspects of like where, where where earth minerals come from and like other just even not rare earth like mining operations and things. But I think you need people like on the ground doing like investigation of that stuff uh, because like no one is reporting that. Mm-hmm. And and so, and right now it's kind of like what I've heard as well is like well we know <laughs> this is so ridiculous. So we know how bad the numbers are from like the actual usage. So we're sure that the manufacturing emissions are less than that. So we're not going to share them because it doesn't really matter because usage is like so much more intensive than, than manufacturing. You're like, but like, how are we supposed to actually measure that unless you actually give us numbers, right? Like you really can't. And we know that like manufacturing GPUs is actually a super, it's like Wired ran this article about like these, these fabs, like the fabric, like where they actually make the, the GPUs. And it's like, they use ultra pure water because they have to like clean each wafer and there's like a bunch of wafers stacked and it's like a lot of energy and the energy is, is coal powered because they're in Taiwan. I mean, there's all these like different uh, parts of the puzzle. And at the end of the day, they're just like, we're not going to tell you the environmental footprint because it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yay. Right. So to tie this to today's um, executive order that came out of the White House, um, one of the things that's in there is uh, Biden's directing the NSF to do sort of a start like trial run of the, the what they're calling the NAIR, the National AI Research Resource. Um, and it seems to me that if the um, if the White House and the executive branch is trying to like lead by example with transparency, then we could say, look, you know, tra- NAIR is going to need to be transparent about 
you know, what's the energy source? Um, anybody who's doing experiments on this needs to report these numbers about how much they used. Um, maybe some things about, you know, where did these chips come from? Where were they produced? Like sort of like trying to see how far we can push on transparency there could be really valuable. Well, the thing is, is that the companies like, for example, NVIDIA and others, they're US based, but most of uh, the fabs are actually not in the States. And I think that yeah. That actually scares, I mean, because of this whole catastrophic risk situation. I mean, like, for example, Taiwan has like most of the factories, right? And it's right near China and people are anyway. So there's that whole like geopolitical thing. And I think that as a consequence of, of this panic, they're trying to bring back chip manufacturing to the states, which is obviously right. going to be more expensive. And the companies obviously don't want to do it. But with like maybe as like a indirect impact of this of this whole uh, existential risk thing, maybe we're going to have local production of, of, of GPUs, for example, and there's going to be a more transparent, like, for example, if the factories in California, there's legislation, right, there's all these like specific legislations in the states. So they're, they're going to have to share something which in Taiwan is, is not the case, just because it's it's not the same you know, laws, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if for folks who are interested, AI now put out a great explainer on kind of compute and AI, and the kind of supply chains of chips and kind of how, yeah, most of it, resides with one manufacturer in the Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company. Um, and so there's they're worried about the supply chain risk and this involved. And so this has been, you know, an effort to build factories or build chip factories in the United States um, uh, to kind of avoid that. But it's just that you have to really, really change the supply chain to even make that a thing. I so wish we'd had this conversation before I was at that uh, U.S. House subcommittee hearing a couple of weeks ago, because one of the people on the committee is this congressman from Indiana who said, we've got a new chip fab opening up in my district, and I want all four of you witnesses to answer this question. How is AI going to help us make better chips? And all four of us kind of went, uh, what do we say about that? Um, and I think I managed to say something about like environmental impact, but I sure wish I could have said, hey, let's have some transparency about these things. Like that would have been a really great moment to bring it up. So next time I'll be more prepared. The thing is, is yeah. though that like, I'm sure NVIDIA uses AI to some extent in their design, right? But they don't really, I mean, I don't, I, I, for example, yeah. recently I saw that they're really emphasizing more um efficient usage chips like like chips that would require less energy to run without like so i've definitely published about that but they've never published about like less intensive manufacturing of, chi of chips which would mm. be which mm -hmm. would make more sense right because of right yeah all right, we got to we got to keep moving if we're going to get to the fresh ai hell um, i just want to <laughs> sort of show this uh headline so um, from the New York Times reporting on that not paper commentary that we were just reading, um, AI could soon need as much electricity as an entire country. And I guess this is just like a word to the wise to anybody who is publishing in academic venues. Anything touching AI at all is like media magnet right now. So choose your words carefully. Um, and like, you know, you it's true that the author of the commentary did not have control of this New York Times headline, but we need to be, I think, a little bit defensive in how we write about it. I think this article was meant to be a, a somewhat of a headline grabbing article, though. I mean, I yeah. I think the fact that these comparisons were made like dispute once again these are these are predictions right <laughs> back to my 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 uh, it's hard to uh, debunk uh, predictions because you can't really say either way and so i think that like part of the part of the this point the point of this article was to generate these kinds of headlines so yeah all right so transitioning to fresh ai hell every time i give alex a little improv prompt oh this no. time alex <laughs> you are a weather forecaster um, describing an upcoming climate catastrophe as the climate crisis is in fact reaching AI hell. So you are the okay. AI hell weather forecaster talking about the whatever climate crisis it is, climate crisis spawn disaster that's coming your way. Got it. Uh, my name is uh, Jim Cantori. I'm over here at Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and I've got a weather coat on. And uh, I, I really, uh, I, I have to tell you, I've been in a lot of storms, but never, never seen this. We see a typhoon coming in, uh, fresh AI hell is coming down, fire and brimstone, uh, smoking pieces of GPUs 
are are are, are have been hitting major buildings here. Uh, please uh, take shelter. Uh, crawl under a table. Um, put in earphones so you can avoid all kinds of AI hell and all kinds of bullshit that you're seeing. Um, that's that's all I've got to say. We've we've got to go offline now. That's all I got. <laughs> Stay, stay safe there. Okay, here we go. Thank you for that. Um, we've got a little bit of fresh AI hell. Uh, the first thing is a Wall Street Journal article that I have via LinkedIn because I don't have a Wall Street Journal account. Um, so uh, headline is Americans are asking AI, should I get back with my ex? And then the text of the post is, should you get back with your ex? New dating apps are employing artificial intelligence to analyze compatibility or beef up your banter. Your results with them may vary. <laughs> Jeez. And I mean, we I think we were talking about this article offline and that I mean, so what you actually do here is you upload your text with your ex. Um, and then it's it's making some assessment of this. So not to mention that, you know, your ex is is not consenting to this, um, and then to having their messages uploaded to this and then just whatever the privacy policy on this is you know terrible so yeah and it actually reminds me of this song um uh the by i think the artist's name is malikana anyway it's called i wish i missed my ex and it makes me think of this every time i see this headline mm -hmm. <laughs> all right and this beef up your banter also reminds me of the the folks who wanted to like basically put revive google glass and connect it to gpt4 we have we had the previous fresh ai health segment about that where it's like yeah not creepy at all that's really going to make you a popular date <laughs> well it's like is wasn't there I, one where it was it was like that did we do an ai hell where it was did, like yeah, yeah where it was like you wear on a date and it tells you what to say it tells you, yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah oh yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah good lord but emma you were gonna say uh, I mean, I, yeah, I've never been in a fresh AI hell or an AI hell segment, but um, like I, the ethical concerns here are like insane, though. Actually, right? Like, so there's the privacy issue, but like you know, as natural language people, I, I feel like quite confident that like NLP technology, including ChatGPT, like is not going to detect like gaslighting and like not going to detect honestly like abuse and stuff, right? And so like I feel like if you're actually using this, you can easily have situations where the AI is saying like, yeah, your ex seems like really nice. They did all this stuff for you, like, uh, and then it's actually like a really toxic situation. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like the, the the Sydney chatbot saying that the guy should divorce his wife, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Except set up as take relationship advice from this thing. But yeah. All right, Rage and Rap Raptor in the chat says, how long until Netflix makes a dating show where one of the bachelors is an AI? Oh my oh, god. god. It's <laughs> don't give them ideas. They're gonna yeah. do it. <laughs> no, no, no speculative AI hell. We have enough actual AI. Hell. I know. Okay. Stop. I'm convinced that Netflix's show that was like renovating yeah. sex rooms. I don't remember what it was called, but it was like oh, it was yeah. about yeah, I'm convinced that was like generated by an AI because I feel like it was optimized for viewing. Like I totally get it. <laughs> I thought you were okay. gonna mention the one where it's like the people were dressed in like animal or like alien costumes and you know you from right. that one they were yeah. And I was like, how could you possibly like how does that I feel one? like so people, I feel, sorry, no, go ahead. I was just gonna <laughs> mention love what is whatever what was the one? queer love the one that was people really toxic and they swap partners anyways sorry <laughs> all right so to transition to our next one here abstract tesseract says from now on i'll be asking prospective suitors to name all the countries starting with k which is a callback yes, to the fail that leaked through google but also sort of a new turing test replacement which brings us to this financial times opinion piece um we need a political alan turing to design ar safeguards um and frontier technology is a challenge that raises a spectrum of concerns by John Thornhill. And there's just so much wrong with this. We're just going to be really fast. But the two things that I wanted to say is, can we cut it out with the great man theory? Like, we don't need a single person who's going to solve all the problems. We need a broad, collaborative, um, like sort of working session where people are actually represented. But also, uh, there's somewhere in here where they talk about how, yes, 
Whereas the electromechanical device that Turing built could perform just one code cracking function well, today's frontier AI models are approaching the quote, universal computers he could only imagine, capable of vastly more function. It's like, no, we have those universal computers and LLMs are an example of a piece of software that runs on top of them. Yeah, Just we, like... <laughs> we now call them computers. <laughs> yeah, and it's true that the code cracking stuff that was going on at Bletchley Park was a specific function computer, right? Special purpose. Um, but that doesn't mean that like, it's only now with the LLMs that can tell us answers to any question that we're actually getting to the universal computers. Like what a misunderstanding of what's going on. Um, so anyway, next, I don't want to spend too much time on this one because I want to get to a little bit more AI hell. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, let me read. I can read this one. So yeah, this is Wes, Wes Gurney, who's the author of this paper. It says, do language models have an internal world model, a sense of time, a multiple spatio at multiple spatiotemporal scales? And a new paper with Mark Tegmark. Uh, was it Mark Tegmark? Um, Max. Max, Max, Max. Tegmark. Yeah. Thank you. We provide evidence that they do by finding a literal map of the world inside the activations of Lambda, uh, Lambda 2. And there's a GIF of the activation layers mapping to different parts of the world. Oh, gosh. It's like, okay. So. It is not surprising that the distribution of named entities in text would cluster based on where in the world they're from, right? You are probably talking about politicians from the U.S. in papers where you're talking about other politicians from the U.S. and so on, right? That does not make a world model, number one. Number two, the most striking thing about this is just how thin the data is in the global south, Right. Mm -hmm. So if you look at if when as it resolves into its thing, if you look at what happens in Latin America and Africa, it's like, oh, there's hardly any dots there because the text they're basing this on doesn't talk about those places. Um, but yeah. So um, now to get to something truly awful. Uh, 404 Media, shout out 404 Media. 404 Media is not awful. They're wonderful. Um, this is a recent um, new media thing yeah. started by a couple folks from Vice. Yeah. Headline here, 4chan uses Bing to flood the internet with racist images, because of course they're doing that, right? Um, and so we've got uh, 4chan users are coordinating a posting campaign where they use Bing's AI text to image generated to create racist images that they can then post across the internet. The news shows how users are able to manipulate free to access easy to use AI tools to quickly flood the internet with racist garbage, even when those tools are allegedly strictly moderated. Oh yeah, um, this one's this and, one's pretty awful. Yeah, just having a coordinated campaign at supercharging this things that people are warning about. You're going to have more and more of these kinds of things. People are going to use this, and it's going to supercharge this kind of hateful content. Yeah, and it's not like all of this is carbon impact free. Like, <laughs> just you know. Sasha, maybe our Think next project should be let's like estimate the carbon footprint of like 4chan users generating racist content and we can compare like is it more efficient for like the user to generate the racist content or to like the AI to generate the racist content. Y'all are really bringing new definitions to environmental racism. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On a similar note, um, here's Vice. Uh, stupid advertisement making so I can't see uh, vice motherboard generative AI is a disaster and companies don't seem to really care in their push for AI generated content tech companies are dancing on the edge between fucking around and finding out uh, I love this is the best reporter ever she reached out to me yeah. when she was writing oh. this article and I'm like <laughs> yeah this is Janet Janice Rose who's, yeah. shout out Janice Rose yeah Super you're cool. great also <laughs> yeah. great a great DJ and also Jordan Pearson and here we have a picture of Mickey Mouse in mm, like what, army so, fatigues. Yeah, army fatigues with except a he's also wearing cap. like a brown pair of pants and a belt. Um, wait, do you see what did you just say there, Sasha? Holding a Kalashnikov. That's what that is. Okay. Um, yeah, some sort of very fierce-looking weapon with his typical Mickey Mouse smile on his face. Um, and yeah, so this is like it's really easy apparently to create these things. All right, one last one. What's this? Oh, okay. The final 11 seconds of a fatal Tesla autopilot crash. Um, so this is a Washington Post thing where they've reconstructed what happens. Um, I guess there was a little bit of video, and so then they reconstructed from there. Um, 
This is the Washington Post. And the thing that I wanted to to raise up out of this, aside from the fact that it's really tragic, um, is they talk about, they ask the question of like, who's responsible? Um, and they say, um, so Banner's family sued after the gruesome 2019 collision, one of at least 10 active lawsuits involving Tesla's autopilot, several of which are expected to go to court over the next year. Together, the cases could determine whether the driver is solely responsible when things go wrong in a vehicle guided by autopilot or whether the software should also bear some of the blame. And the thing that got to me about this is no software can't bear blame. It's the company that's producing and selling the software. And I was just so infuriated to see the Washington Post, who generally do a better than average job in this space, like talking about it that way. All right. I feel like we could have ordered that better because it was really fun the way you all were just riffing right now. And now we're on this bummer thing, but we are actually at time. And so I'm going to take us um, to the outro. Thank you for joining us in AI Hell. That's it for this week. Dr. Emma Strubel is an assistant professor in the Language Technologies Institute in Carnegie Mellon University's School of Computer Science. And Dr. Sasha Lucioni is a researcher in ethical and sustainable artificial intelligence at the company Hugging Face and a founding member of Climate Change AI. Thank you both for coming in and joining us today. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for hosting. Thank you so much. Our theme song is by Toby Menon. Graphic design by Naomi Pleasure Park, production by Christy Taylor, and thanks as always to the Distributed AI Research Institute. If you like this show, you can support us by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and by donating to DARE at dareinstitute.org. That's D A I R hyphen institute.org. Find us and all our past episodes on PeerTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch and comment on the show while it's happening live on our Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash dare underscore institute. Again, that's D-A-I-R underscore institute. I'm Emily M. Bender. And I'm Alex Hanna. Stay out of AI hell, y'all, including all the incoming storm fronts. Bye.